As we've been doing the last several weeks, we're going to recite the words of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we've been using this uh, for our sermon series on who is Jesus. So if you could turn to page 9 and let's recite together the words that we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our scripture passage from this morning comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, as we look at what it means for Christ to be the only begotten Son of God. Hear the word of the Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, and He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. I know in one of the community groups that we have, some of you have been studying a little bit about the life of St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas, the one who we get our modern understanding, our American cultural understanding of Santa Claus. Um, but there was this man by the name of St. Nicholas in the 300s uh, who was known as a bishop in the early church. He was known for giving presents to children who had hung their stockings by the fire to dry. But that is not all that he is known for. St. Nicholas actually has a very interesting history uh, that ties into what we're talking about this morning. Uh, St. Nicholas was a member at the Council of Nicaea. Um, the Council of Nicaea was a gathering of church leaders to debate theological issues that had arisen in the church. The issue at Nicaea was the Arian controversy. 
the Arian controversy. Uh, Arius was a teacher, and he was teaching that Jesus was a being who was created by God the Father. And therefore, he was less than God the Father. Still divine, but less than God the Father. Athanasius was his most famous opponent, but Athanasius was not the most passionate opponent of Arius at the Council of Nicaea. Legend has it that during this Council of Church leaders, Arius was giving a speech defending his heretical views. St. Nicholas, who was an old man at this point, got up during Arius' speech and proceeded to punch Arius. <laughs> Needless to say, uh, St. Nicholas was banned from the proceedings at that point, uh, but by the end of the council, he was allowed to return. I just love having this picture of who we have of Santa Claus today. Thinking of him punching someone is quite comical. Um, in the end, at this council, uh, the council denounced Arius and his views, and they produced a creed that we use here occasionally at Trinity. Uh, it's called the Nicene Creed. And one of the key phrases of this creed, which denounces Arianism and strongly upholds the nature of who Jesus is, goes like this. It says, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made." So as we take a trip through the Apostles' Creed, learning about who Jesus is based on this description, uh, we've seen over the last several weeks that Jesus is the Savior, because He is Jesus, that Jesus is the Anointed One as the Christ. Today we're going to look at the fact that He is the only begotten Son of God. So what Arius believed was that the Father created the Son, and that through that, the Son created everything else. And we see that here in Colossians 1.16. He used that as his defense. He said that all things were created through him and for him. And since God the Father created God the Son, the Father has a greater de degree of divinity. He is more divine. Maybe you could say he is more God than God the Son. But what this also means is that if God the Father created God the Son, that means that there was a time when God the Son was not. That means that God the Son had a beginning, a point in time when He began. But what the council at Nicaea upheld, led by Athanasius, was this. And this is what we confirm today as well. That the Son was not created by God the Father. He was begotten by God the Father. That means that He was eternally generated from the Father. That there was never a time when God the Son did not exist. God the Son is eternal 
and he is on the same level of divinity as God the Father because they are of the same substance. If we're speaking of the Latin here, which they use to describe this, they are homoousius. They are of the same uh, substance together. They're not similar, but they are the same. Uh, Now, I don't consider myself necessarily a scholar, um, and we need to remember as we're diving into these things that we're diving into the the very high and lofty doctrine of the Trinity here. Uh, Very difficult uh, to often explain. Sometimes it is hard to understand, but it is so important that we get this right. Because when we fail to get the doctrine of Trinity right, we fail to get the, the nature of God right. And then we are in trouble. So does it matter if God the Son was created or if he was eternally begotten? Uh, if we believe what Arius believed, do we lose something as Christians? Yes. First of all, we would lose our confidence in God's word that clearly states that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Uh, For instance, in John chapter 1, verse 1, where John speaks about the Word, and he's referring to Jesus here. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's hard for us to understand the fact that, in reality, God did not have a beginning. God has always been, And he always will be. But we use this in the beginning to describe that time before time. When there was God and there was nothing else. And Jesus, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, was there with God the Father. Another thing that we would lose would be the unity between the members of the Trinity In John 10, verse 30, Jesus clearly states, he said, I and the Father are one. They are of one substance. They are created. And if God the Father created God the Son, then Jesus would be less than the Father. If Jesus were to be less than God the Father, could he be Jesus? Could he be God saves? If Jesus was less than God the Father, could he be the Christ, the anointed one? If Jesus was less than God the Father, could he be Lord, which we will look at next week, having all power and authority? And if Jesus was less than God the Father, could he really be Emmanuel, God with us? But instead, we say that Jesus is of the same substance, the same exact substance as God the Father. And what is that substance? Well, if you look at our catechism, let's look at the children's catechism first. What is God? And those children who remember studying the catechism this summer, they would respond by saying, God is a spirit and does not have a body like men. Question and answer four of the shorter catechism answers the same question, what, it, what is God, by this. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. God's nature is such 
that God is unchanging. It says he is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. So let's think of it this way. So if the Father had created the Son, then there was a time when the Trinity was not the Trinity, and the nature of God would have been very different. Because if there was no second person of the Trinity, how could we have the Trinity? Uh, My niece and her husband had their first child this week. Uh, Being a mother and a father now, as a young couple, makes them much different people. If you're a parent, do you remember the time you had before children? Life was different then. Having children changes who you are. Things change in your life. Your priority changes. Your schedule changes. The amount of sleep that you get changes. Things change when you become a parent. But our God does not change. James 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The nature of God and His character is always the same. It has always been and will always be. And this is His character. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, as the psalmist writes in Psalm 145, verse 8. So, because Jesus is the same substance as God the Father, that means that Jesus was and He is eternal. Jesus always has been. Jesus always will be, as it says in John 1, verse 1. We already said this morning. So, when we reject the nature of Jesus and the whole Trinity, or, excuse me, when we reflect on the nature of Jesus and the whole Trinity, I hope that it fills you with awe. It's one of the points that we're trying to make this morning, is that by Jesus being the only begotten Son of God, that that should fill us with awe and wonder. When you have the picture in your mind of Jesus, especially during this Advent season, most often, obviously, we think of Jesus coming as this sweet, innocent baby lying in a manger. We have this this picture of most of the manger scenes that we have of of his parents hovering over him, looking down on him, Uh, the animals kind of huddled around, the shepherds nearby who are watching uh, angels maybe above, uh, uh, above the, uh, the stable there with the star shining above. Um, it's, it's this very sweet, adorable moment that we have. But wrapped up in this tiny package of this child is one who is of the same substance as God the Father in heaven. He is the image of of the invisible God, as our passage says. He is older than time itself. He is the one by whom all things in heaven and on earth were created. He is the one who holds all things together. He is the one who is preeminent. A little baby in which the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
So even though Jesus is the same substance with his Father in heaven, equal to God, he did something truly incredible that Paul records in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6-8. through eight. Who, Jesus, though being in the very form of God, didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto, but instead he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So even though Jesus is equal in every way, in substance and in form, to his Father in heaven, he set that aside, he set that equality aside with God, to be a humble servant who died for us. The eternal second person of the Trinity made himself vulnerable so that we might have life through him. So if Jesus is not equal to God, we miss this incredible act of humbleness, of sacrificial love that Jesus performed for us for our salvation. So not only is Jesus the only begotten, but he is the Son of God. We need to look at it this way. And I smile as I say this. The Son is the Son because the Father is the Father. I know it sounds a lot like what I said the first week, that who is Jesus? Well, he's Jesus. Well, why is he the Son? Because the Father is the Father. Uh, This is how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. In this relationship between the members of the Trinity, we have God the Father and we have God the Son. You cannot have a Father without having a Son. You cannot have a Son without a Father. Uh, Jesus is not the Son of God through the virgin birth. And we need to understand that. It's not that he became the Son of God when he was born. Um, He was eternally the Son of God. Christmas did not make him so. The relationship that he has to his Father in heaven is what makes him the Son of God. This Trinitarian relationship makes him the Son. And in their relationship with one another, the Father has love for the Son And the Son is obedient to the will of the Father. This is how they interact in relationship to one another. So how do we know that the Father loves the Son? He tells us. We have this great passage in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 at Jesus' baptism. It says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened up to him, And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. It's like Jesus saying, or God is saying, This is my Son. I'm proud of him. I love him. Um, I remember, and I know, Uh, the love that my father has for me. I shared this story in our parenting class this morning. Um, But I know my father's love for me because every time we talk on the phone, 
we have that awkward time at the end where we say, I love you to one another. So, Dad, I love you. I love you too, son. And it's always awkward to guys saying I love you to each other, but it's sweet and it's precious and I love it and I appreciate it. Um, I know uh, my father loved me because uh, he and my mother, every time after we got done with a basketball game, they would be the first ones waiting outside the locker room. And after I showered and got ready, uh, I would walk out and they would be there. They would be there to give me a hug. They would say, great job, even if it was not a great job. <laughs> um, they would be there to, to say that they were proud of me and to encourage me. Um, I try to share that same love with my children. Being a parent is not easy. Uh, but what I try to do is I try to get down on their level, to tell them um, in moments that are random throughout the day, to say, son, daughter, I love you, and I'm proud of you. I usually get the response of, dad, <laughs> but they need to hear it, because I do. I love my children. And God pours his love out on his son as well. And not only does the father love the son, but the son acts in obedience to the father. He submits himself to the will of God the Father. In John 6, 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Wouldn't it be great as parents to hear that refrain from our children? I don't want to do my will. I want to do your will as my parents. We don't often hear that, but it is a joy uh, when we do. This is what Jesus did for his father. He submitted himself to his will. Even in the garden, as he was praying before he was betrayed, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. It is amazing, isn't it, that even though the Son submits his will to the Father's will, the Son is in no way below the Father. Because in Colossians 1, we read this morning, For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's hard in a half an hour sermon to talk about the extensive, uh, the, the extensive meaning of what it means for Jesus to be the only begotten Son of God. Uh, this is by no means exhaustive. Uh, it simply scratched the surface of who Jesus really is. Because honestly, how can we exhaust the fact that Jesus is God and what that really means? But as we conclude this morning, uh, we need to realize what this means for us as Christians. What does it mean that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God? How does this really affect our lives here at Christmas and always. What does it mean for us? Well, because Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, He and He alone was able and is able to accomplish salvation for us. And this is very, very important. Peter and John testify in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, when they were arrested and they were forced to testify before the the, the leaders and the chief priests, they said, There is salvation in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is only through the only begotten Son of God. You know, there was others who shared the name of Jesus, of Joshua, those who were called on to be saviors. We see Joshua leading the people into the promised land. Yes, there was only one Savior. Uh, But there was others who were called to be the Lord's anointed and who shared that title. Yes, there was only one who was the Christ. And there's not taking away from anything of Jesus in these titles. But there was one. And there will only be one. Only begotten Son of God. No one can ever claim this title because there is no one else who can claim to be God. Because Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, He is the only one who can do for us what Paul describes at the end of our passage this morning. He is the only one who could reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. So on this third week of Advent, this week that we celebrate the joy that Christ brings to us, what joy does this bring to our hearts that we have peace with God through the blood of Christ. And honestly, this is the amazing truth of the gospel. That the fullness of God has come to us, born in a baby. That eternity has come to us in the form of a child. That the same substance as God the Father has come to us in the form of a human being. I've quoted John 3.16 the last several weeks, and I'm going to quote it again this morning because this brings us great joy. We realize that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And this is the truth for us this morning. And this is a truth that is worth defending. Now, whether or not you want to be punching heretics who don't believe this, as St. Nicholas did, but that is between you and God. Uh, However, this is a doctrine that is deep, and it is rich, and it is beautiful, and it is powerful to know that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. That this baby that was born had the fullness of God dwelling inside of him. And as the angel told the shepherds, this is tidings of great joy. That is for all the people. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for giving to us your only begotten Son. It is amazing, and it's incredible to think that before time even began, from eternity past, that you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, have been. That you have been in relationship together with one another, loving one another with a perfect love, serving one another, 
even submitting to one another. Lord, these are great and lofty things that are Our human minds can't often grasp and understand. And I pray that you would fill our minds with this knowledge and this wisdom of you. And that throughout our lives we would come to a deeper and a greater understanding of who you are, of your amazing nature. We thank you that Jesus did not account equality with God, something to be grasped but he gave it up, becoming like us, taking on the very nature of a servant. That you died on the cross to save us from our sins, and that because of this we have great joy. And we know that because you are the eternal Son of God, we know that not only do you not have a beginning, but you also do not have an end and you will be ruling and reigning in your kingdom forever. And we find great peace and great comfort knowing that we will be joining you in this kingdom forever. Father, we thank you and we praise you for giving us your son. And we thank you and we praise you in his name. Amen.